All right, here we go, man. This is a, such a new generation with all the computers and everything. I come from another era. You know, I mean, I'm still have confusion about the telephones. You know, my telephone still is one of the <laughs> ones, you know. I, mean. I, I have a sister who's almost 20 years younger than me, and she would bring people to, to the house. And my mom and dad have a uh, rotary phone in the kitchen. And I remember her little friend going, is that a telephone? <laughs> I have to I have to call my house. <laughs> well, please, I come from a time that a lot of the people that came to the mountains, to, to the city in Mexico City, which I, where I grew up, they got terrified with the telephone. They they thought it was totally magic, you know, that their voices were there, you know, and it's, it's a completely different world with age. You know, you know it's going to be fun to, to, to chart some of that stuff, man. So let's launch into things real quick. My, my name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. The guest of the hour today, Jimmy, man, it is not hyperbole to say that we have a legend in the house, Sergio Aragones, man. Drop a little of that bibliography and let's just get right into things. Oh, man, where do you begin? Everybody <laughs> has seen his work in Mad Magazine, appearing in nearly 500 issues of Mad Magazine, uh, second only to Al Jaffe for most appearances. Unbelievable. But also almost 200 issues of his creator-owned book, Grew, that has gone across several different publishers since the early 80s. Um, you know, an example of creator ownership in comic books at almost 200 issues. Amazing and still going strong. Uh, he has been called the fastest cartoonist alive. Uh, fantastic. Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe, Sergio Aragones. Thank you very much. You know, th that thing with the fastest cartoonist, some... some Somebody must have been in one of the shows, one of the reporters, and they see you drawing alive. Well, I've seen cartoonists who draw normal, and by the time they finish, the whole audience is totally bored, you know, because they go, they're just slow, you know. It drives me nuts. So, so you draw something fast to entertain, something that I've drawn a million times, like an Alfred Newman or a Gru. It takes seconds because you've done it so many times. And in humor, mistakes doesn't matter because it's just a joke, you know, it's a cartoon. But when an artist, a serious artist, or that is drawing a, a Tarzan or a Superman or whatever, they have to take their time because a hand badly drawn is a badly drawn hand. You know? With cartoons, I can draw five sausages and who cares, you know, it's just, just very fast. So you do that and people get very impressed. We do a thing at the, at the at Comic Con, which is called the Quick Draw. And of course, that's just to entertain. So we draw it fast without caring how it looks like, because it's fast. So people say, oh, that's the fastest cartoons in the world. I take so much time when I'm sitting drawing that I'm not the fastest at all. I spend more time uh, researching things you know, a lot, you know, so it takes time. So that haunts, haunts you, you know, when it's the fastest cartoon. I, I know that, uh, you know, I got my start working with uh, the writer Harvey P. Carr from American Splendor and some of the adjectives that are often would often be put in front of his name. They would call him uh, curmudgeon, cantankerous, all of these kind of like ne negative adjectives, specifically because it was the way he interacted with David Letterman on, on the television. So like he these was, he was. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I found it to be super, super sweet. Uh, but man, we have, we have so much stuff to talk about. Uh, Sergio, you're one of the few people that we could talk to and, and get a couple Bill Gaines stories or something. I'm thinking about like in, in my research for this episode, one of the, uh, little mad magazine, Bill Gaines tidbits that came up kind of regularly that I want to ask you about was, uh, in, I guess it was the seventies. Um, there was one Haitian subscriber to mad magazine and that guy let his subscription lapse so bill gaines got got the usual gang of idiots <laughs> all, all together and they took a trip to haiti knocked on the guy's door to try to uh, bully him back into uh, re-upping his subscription i wonder if you were a part of that and if you were not uh what's what's your fondest memory of bill bill gaines well uh, what happened is that bill bill gaines was a uh, a man very special man is that crazy uncle that you have you know that you love because he's your uncle and then you sometimes you argue with him a lot because of the things he does business like you know and it drives you nuts because it's somebody that you really love a lot but he decided to have an annual trip with all this the stuff so every year he took us to travel the the artists the writers the editors our director, uh, the lawyer, the accountant, and that's it. You know, we we'll all go. We share rooms, so Matt becomes a family. It's 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 not your uh, colleagues anymore because you share in a room with Al Jaffe, and then you are sitting there with him in your underwear talking. You know, I mean, it's 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 family. The whole thing with all the guys. Uh, so that that tree was before I entered Matt. I I enter. In 62, it was published in 63, but I was selling already things in 62. So I, I, I missed the earlier two trips. And one of them was that, that they had decided to go, one to, was to Haiti and the other was to one of the other islands. And, and uh, he, he realized that they had a subscriber that had canceled. So all of them piled up in jeeps and went to his house and knock on the door and the mother opens and says, yes, we're asking for, so yeah, concert song comes out and please resubscribe. <laughs> you, we need you very much. This is Jaffe and this is Jack Davis and he introduced all the guys, you know, and the guy's like, what is this? He was, uh, and um, at the end, Bill Gaines says, you see, we, that trip, we duplicate our membership. <laughs> <laughs> get get another guy but yeah he had things like that he was a gourmet he ate a lot he drank very nice uh before he ate, he drank manisevich you know that very common wine but he decided that he liked one and he became a connoisseur he became a member of those guys who had the little tray and the tasted wines he became an expert on wines so those trips were memorable from that one i i went to all, all of them. I missed a couple because uh, one, one, one trip I was in Europe for a couple of years, trying to meet cartoonists and editors, things. But uh, they were fantastic. And the, f the best one was the one to Mexico, because he asked me to organize it. You know, I said, "Oh my God!" So I went a week early to organize the things, and I, the things I did to them. Oh my God! That was that was memorable, memorable. We had great times. What were some of the things that you did in Mexico? When you when you say something <laughs> like that, it makes me very curious. Well, 
I went there before and I figured it out. I had to do something different that all the guys do. So I went to one of the things that people do. They go bullfighting. You, you, there's a little little uh, plaza, bullfighting plazas. So you go there for dinner. You you sit around the places, and while you, you're eating, some of the members go and fight the bulls, the little ones, you know, the, with the little horns and that. So I went in and organized a a fight for, for them, and then you have uh, all the guys, you know, Nick Meglin, the editors, and the bullfighting, bullfighting, you know, the little bulls. You know, it was. <laughs> so fun and then i took him to a cantina and i told them you're going to have a thing it's called pulque and pulque is a viscous brew you know that when you drink it it's almost solid you know like and you have to really get used to those flavors because they are, <laughs> they are something else so i i told them you have to drink everything so they don't get very offended you know, there's a little Virgen de Guadalupe at the door. So when you come, you have to, to incline like that. All bullshit, you know. But, <laughs> and so when they arrive, you know, it's a very little cantina in the middle of the country. So <laughs> they arrive and there's a, a couple of drugs sitting over there, you know. And they go, they turn around to the Virgin and they, a couple of them are Jewish, you know. So they went like that to the Virgin. <laughs> and then... And then I says, don't forget, you have to drink it all because if not, they get very offended. They serve tankards about that big, you know, with these viscous things that they're just terrible, you know. And you, don't forget, you have to drink it all, you know, and it tastes pretty bad. It's a flavor that you have to get accustomed to it. So they tell, tasting it, you know, like, what is it repulsive, you know? And then I couldn't take it anymore and says, nah, I'm just joking. You don't even have to drink anything, you know. Oh, they almost throw those things out at me. <laughs> and the best part, I took them home and my mother cooked for them. Oh, that's nice. I set a whole table on the garden, you know, all the tables for all the guys. And I did a, a wine tasting for Bill. I bought the worst wines in the world. You know, Mexico is not a very good wine producer because of the terrain and things like that, you know. So, but the waiters were very well dressed and they were trained to do all the, the thing and putting it and cleaning and doing it for all the guys. And uh, Bill Gaines come and he's a, a connoisseur, you know, he goes to the first one and, <laughs> and get to the other guy, opens the bottle, and the whole the whole thing and give it to him. And he was even worse than he, as he processed to the different wines, you can see him changing like he knows he's a gag now, you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but the guys, the other guys didn't know about it. And they don't know wine like I don't know wine. You know, they go, oh, this is very good. <laughs> it was memorable. And uh, having... My, uh, my American family meeting my, my family, you know, my mother. She's from Valencia, you know, from Spain, like I was born there. And she make a big paella, you know, for 20 people in the outside, you know. And, and all the guys sitting there and drinking wine. And uh, it was probably one of the most emotional moments of my life, having both families now together. You know, it was... And I have a shot of uh, 
uh, uh, feel of it starts sort of like pouring a little rain, you know, drizzling. And Jack Davis, which is about 6'10", you know, he's a giant. He comes, is sitting with an umbrella covering my mother, which is about tiny, tiny little lady. And it was, it's, I have it on my, on my bedroom hanging because I see it every day. You know, Jack Davis standing on my mother like that with, a, with that umbrella covering her. Oh. No, I can't, please, about Bill and Matt and the things I can talk two, three hours, you know, so. So it's, but this, the, those trips were fantastic. We, we had African safaris, Europe, I don't know, 20 times, uh, the, uh, Morocco, name it, and we were, were there, uh, all paid, fantastic. Sergio, I, I was uh, listening to you in another interview talk about whenever you, you go to MAD, uh, you know, you, you ride a bus to New York, um, you know, and you bring your portfolio around to get work, and that your work, you didn't think your work fit MAD magazine exactly. Um, I, I grew up, you, you know, you were always in MAD magazine, so it always fit MAD magazine uh, to me. But how was that like going into MAD? Did you try to create stuff for that? Or were you just well, looking at it as like MAD is, you know, you got to try MAD. You know, it's it's kind of the top of the... I, I'm a magazine cartoonist. I do gags, jokes, single gags. I had a page in Mexico, I did covers, I did all kinds of work in Mexico growing up, you know, I started selling in high school gags because my my influences were magazine cartoonists, you know, from uh, Oski from uh, from Argentina, who was my idol, you know, and uh, uh, every cartoonist, when you're learning, you discover something that you like on the cartoon of, of your masters, of the people that you love. And, and when I discovered Vir Virgil Parch, who signs VIP, I knew how I had to draw my noses, you know, because he pointed like that. So from Oski, who were around, it was pointy. So you can see the process by other cartoonists, you know. So coming from that, I went to, there was a magazine a long time ago called Writer's Digest. And that's the magazine described the prices that the magazines were paid for articles, uh, when they needed, what they needed. Same thing with cartoons on the back. It says, um, Army or Gaga and Dolls need sexy cartoons, or uh, this weapon magazine needs things with guns. They paid $30 per cartoon. They used five a week. We have a lot take next month to come because right now we're not buying and things like that. So it was like a Bible when uh, when uh, I, I had that magazine. So I went to visit the small magazines because I figured that, well, you start in small, they look at your work and slowly you go from there. I knew Matt. I didn't speak any English at all, but the drawings, they had never seen anything like it. You know, when you see the caricatures, more Drucker, you know, this is, this is magic. You know, how can a guy do, not only draw a guy like that, he can do it any position with any face, any expression. And I was totally amazed with it. But they don't have cartoons, like one gag thing. They had Don Martin later, you know. So it was not, it was even out of the question, you know, like, 
the gods. There's no way. So, but every magazine I went in that time, they didn't like cartoons with without words. They had the British influence with a with the gags, you know, the the text, and it, all the editors that I went to the magazines, they look at the cartoon and they were looking for the text. And it has no words, I would tell them, you know, it's, it's too crazy, you should go to mad. What are they talking about? You know, there's no, it's not satire in, in a way that a continuity is. It's a satire, of course, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a joke. But I knew that it wasn't uh, that, but I did a couple of sales. I was doing my, making my living singing in a coffee house, you know, reciting flamenco poetry. Uh, and uh, so I, when I went to see an agent. That, uh, I, I have met a couple of cartoonists in some of the parties on the village, you know, and they more or less show me the process, you know, more Gerber which is a fantastic cartoonist from the New Yorker. He was a starting and I met him in a party. I don't know, I was there a week in, in Mexico. And he says, ah, oh, Mexico, I love Mexico. I was there and we had a great time. And when he found out that I was trying to be a cartoonist, he says, well, don't, don't despair. It is it's not easy. You have to break into a field that is full with other fantastic cartoonists. You know, you have to, 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 to really get in, you know. So don't, don't, don't worry about it. It will tell you a few years, you know, but maybe you, you'll do it. Oh, well, thank you very much, you know. And, and so I went to see an agent who, who, I don't remember the name, but he was the same name of our director of Playboy. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it, but I went to it and he looked and says, well, here in the States, we don't buy this type of cartoons. You know, we don't have any any use for cartoons without words, you know. And, uh, the drawings are okay, you know, but the jokes, you need texts, you know. That's what I sell, you know. So I cannot do nothing for you. You know, the best thing you can do is go back to, to Mexico because with this, you try to, if you're going to go to the syndicates, you have to have a character. So he gave me some kind of instruction, you know. So I sat at the, at the stairs, he was one of those old apartments in New York, crying, you know, because he, that was it, you know, I had to go back to Mexico. But I had to go to visit Matt because I I, I had to see the offices and, and see it, I met somebody. So I took my portfolio and went to Matt with the idea to meet somebody of Matt, you know, like your heroes. You know. Now you don't have to meet them in person. You just click a button on the TV and there they are, you know. <laughs> I, I, I see so many of them like that. But anyway, so I went there and Antonio Proías, the cartoonist of the spy, the spy was there. And the secretary says, yes, what do you want? You know, the, the receptionist, you know, who was the wife of Joe, uh, Joe Orlando, the cartoonist editor of DC Comics. She went, yes, <laughs> my English was, Says, Antonio Proías says, just a minute. And he was there, Antonio. So he comes out, you know. <laughs> I knew his work because he uh, published in a magazine called Bohemia. And he had a character who was called El Hombre Siniestro, the sinister man. And he was the dastardly guy who did bad things to other people. But it was really funny. 
And I met him and I got to study, you know. So Antonio, what a great honor. Um, and we start talking all in Spanish on this, of course. And says, you think you can have somebody seen my work, you know? And uh, he said, well, you have to introduce yourself because I don't speak any English either. You know? so, <laughs> so the editors come out, you know, Jerry the Fucho, he goes and calls them and they take my portfolio. Well, in Mexico, my I had a weekly page. What I did is you arrive, you take whatever piece of paper there is, and you make a, a gag. I, I used to do one page of the same subject, guys. So, and uh, I, I, all my cartoons were in paper like this, paper that was in half, little cutouts, little cartoons that to paste them up on the magazine. You know, sometimes you cut a cartoon and they, they do a page in a format all times. Now you take a picture and that's it. But before you, you had to draw it and they cut it out and they glue it and things like that. So that's what I had. And I never had cartoons just in the same size like all the Americans have. They present their gags like that. There were none. But Matt saw a, ser a set of cartoons there about astronauts, also in different shapes. You know? So they says, look, you have these two pages and uh, we, we, we can do an article about it, you know. Oh, that's fantastic. So they went in, they bought a few of the gags about astronauts, and they gave me a check. And in those times, this is a lot of money in 1962. There was $50 for a script and $50 for art. So a page was $100 which comic book pages on those times, they were paying $20, $6 for a script, things like that. So I get $200, a check for $200. That's more money I have ever seen together in, in a lifetime. And Jerry DeFuccio, who became a dear, dear friend of mine, was one of the editors uh, next to Nick Meglin, uh, told me, he says, hey, you have a couple of gags about motorcycle cops. Why don't you make more and maybe we can make another two pages? I said, sure. I went to where I was staying. I spent the whole night. Next morning before they opened, I was standing out there with my portfolio the offices. Hey, what are you doing here? Well, I have your article here. I said, yeah, come on, right. You know, here. So I gave and they went in. I gave it to them. I gave them about 20 gags already all design drawing they couldn't believe it they bought it right there another two pages you know and and they said well this is very good why don't you do drawings for covers Ooh, in a few days ta -ta 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 -ta, that much amount of covers they bought like five in a row that was because they pay more for the covers of course just for the ideas alone you know so they i made a, a, a lot of money so they they told me well we have enough material here for for a few months so it was nice meeting you i mean i hope you you, you can send more things you know and and that's it they, they cutting me out <laughs> i have to go back to mexico you know because they have enough so i i keep going to matt because now i'm a friend of jerry's you know and he's telling me a lot of things how to do and what to do. 
And uh, I, I did a couple of drawings that they needed for inserts and things like that. So I they said, well, where are you staying? And they didn't, I wasn't staying any place. You know? So I says, no, I don't have a place to stay. He says, well, why don't you stay here at the office? We, we locked, of course, because security. But you have a bed and you have a bathroom and coffee. And next morning when we come, we, we let you out. You know, you can stay here. That, that's that. How can that be not your family, right? So I suddenly I'm in the office. Everybody's left. Jerry leaves, and I'm locked in. What is the first thing I do? I go to all the drawers to look at the artwork, and I take all those originals by more drunker. I'm by Jack Davis and all the guys. It was. I, undescribable, please. You can imagine yourself. Imagine being locked in a room with coffee and a bed with all the originals of everybody you ever loved. That was it. It was just, oh man, looking at everything. And that was it. That was the beginning. Then uh, I thought about the marginals. And that was fantastic. You, I don't know if you remember, but on the pages of MAD, they had little saints. And when I was looking at that, I asked Jerry, says, what this means? It's my English. I says, what this means? And says, well, have you read the book so and so? And says, no. Well, then you will not understand it. And another one, and this, did you see the movie this, that? Says, no. Well, then you won't get it. And I figured out, if I don't get it, a lot of people must don't get that if they haven't read that book or that. So I figured out, well, if I draw little cartoons there, Everybody can understand it, you know. So I told him and says, "No, no, that that doesn't work." You know, you're having little cartoons on the wall, you say they're too small. And, no, 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 no. So I figured, I as of stubbornness, so I drew them the, the real size, and cut them out and pasted them up in one of the magazines. You know, my little little drawings, and I went to to Felstein, the editor then, and I says, "Look." So he went and went through the whole magazine. And says, "Look what." No, 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 look, look carefully. <laughs> so, and he sees them and he goes and he loves it. You know, he laughing, you know, the little cartoons. And uh, they told that that's terrific. We, we, we can do that, you know, I said, ah, man, you know, being in every issue with, with that thing. And uh, later I found out that they said, well, th that's very cute, but nobody can come with cartoons with that words, that size. 20th per issue, you know, 12, whatever they were, they changed sizes. So nobody goes, oh, let's, let's buy them until he runs out of ideas. <laughs> to the last issue of mine, I was still doing that, you know. So that was, to me, the, the big the big thing you know, with, with the mad guys. You know? So I stayed. It's such a fairy tale, you know, like it's such a magical story. Like we always hear oh, about how everybody in comics it's like you break into comics and they board up the, the entrance the way you got in after you get in. You know, everybody's different. That's got to be the greatest origin story for getting oh. into comic books. It was, you no, know, the, the entry to comic was even funnier because Mad was a magazine. A lot of the people says, comics, you don't do comics anymore. You do magazines. You know what I mean? The status quo for editors and many people working on a magazine, the status was 
too much and not working in comic books. Those are rags. You know? I mean, we started there, but now we are into magazines. You know, so it's it was different. I, I loved comics all my life because you cannot love them. You know, but that uh, the way I enter comics, I have always drawn comics in my, in my imagination in Mexico since I was a kid. All my life, you know, my own stories, but I never understood the order of the, the panels. So I will take my, my uncle had a work on a factory that had these big ledgers. And the back of the ledgers were white pages. So he the empty books that he had of accounting and that he will give them to me and I will draw on those pages. But my comics were as my imaginations were dictated them. You know, so the guy goes and enters a room and uh, hits the, the guy and then you turn the page because there's more space here. And then you draw the guy hitting him back, you know, and then and then, and then you take the car and you're drawing them, but without any any logic. So you look at the page and says, what the heck is all this? You know? But I never thought I was going to do comics professionally because it was, again, out of the question. I I love the, the medium. I love comics. I love more the European style comics that had humor. Because sadly, the American comics don't have humor then. He had teenager comics. They had funny animal comics. But humor, there was none. In, when I arrived, there was no, no, nothing really until the underground, which was humorous. That was when the great discovery of humor for comics. But before humor, just name one, there's none, you know, of humor itself. Gags, cartoons, funny stories. None. The underground did it. The underground changed Europe also completely. The comic book field in Europe totally changed. And uh, so I, 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 I went to Europe for, uh, I was doing now pretty good with Matt. I was married. I had a little apartment in New York, everything was fine. But I got an offer to live in California. So before going there, we put everything on a truck, all our possessions. The apartment was furnished, so we didn't have any things, except my desk and cabinets and things. And we went to Europe for two years. I had my work, I, I sent mar marginals by mail and article, cover ideas, everything. So I was working. So I could spend a lifetime over there, you know. So I arrived to Europe and I discover things that I have already known from family sending to me. Tintin, Asteris, Looky Look, It's No Good, all that. Everything was humor. I said, man, I can do that. You know, this is, this. I can, I can do that. So that was a whole, a whole total inspiration, you know, that you can, do humor. You know. And I asked the guys, the cartoonists who I met in, in Pilot and all that, and all of them owned their material. Nobody joined artists with writer, like in the United States, because of the mass production. Everybody had a team that they knew that they liked their work, they liked their writing, and they will present the idea to a magazine and they own the rights, all of them. And what are they talking about? You know? 
So this is sounds ideal. You can draw humor and you can know the rights. It was the greatest discovery in the world. But I still didn't know I could do it because you cannot do pantomime comics. You can do one as a sampler, which I did with the group once, but you cannot do a continuity without words. It is a combination of words and drawing. And I didn't spoke any English, so forget it. Later, I started going to Europe probably every year, you know, sometimes with Matt, sometimes with my wife, and just traveling a lot. I discovered that I was thinking what character to do. And I figured out one of the characters that I would like to do was a funny Tarzan. That Tarzan had a brother, a stupid old brother. You know. They were twins and they were raised by animals. But one was Tarzan, the macho, and the other guy was the idiot brother who screwed up everything. You know. So I said, man, this is perfect. You know, I don't have to draw buildings or cars or anything, just jungle and animals. I love it. I'm walking on the streets in Paris, uh, in a movie house, and he goes and says, Tosson, Le Fil de Tarzan, Tarzan. I bought a ticket and go in, and it's an animated cartoon about this. It was mostly sexual Tarzan, you know. But it was in humor. It's been done, you know. So that was it. I said, Jesus, well, there goes my super idea. But I like the guy who screw up things. You know, so I started thinking about Gru, a, a barbarian. I, I figured, like, what isn't in the United States? What isn't there in humor? Well, there's animals, there's all kinds of stuff, but there was no, no barbarian humor. So I started thinking, oh, man, I, I haven't made, you know, this guy is a stupid, ruins everything. And it doesn't have to be Tarzan. Now I can put it with dragons and witches and everything I want. It was hard. I will go to the company that says, see, I want to do a humor comic book, but I want to own the rights. <laughs> they will laugh in my face, you know. One guy at Marvel remember telling me, says, it'll be over my dead body that one day a cartoonist can own the rights. Yeah, right. So it took a lot of years. But he did. But uh, I started writing comics, not drawing them. I uh, I have arrived from one of my uh, the European trip. I arrived and I went to see the guys at Mal. Oh, hello. Hey, how's Joe? Joe Orlando? Well, he doesn't work here anymore. It is, but he's Bill Fr Bill Gaines' friend since childhood. How can he not work here? So, well, he's married to the receptionist. Gloria Orlando, and they just got a divorce, so he had to choose between Joe and Gloria. So he chose Gloria because he needed the reception of the secretary. So he gave Bill Gaines a job as, a, as an editor in DC Comics. You know, he, he had very, very, very high power in, in, in the field, you know, Bill Gaines. So I went to DC Comics to see Joe, you know, it says, uh, uh, so if you have any questions, please interrupt me. I think I'm just blabbing like an idiot. Th th this is really great. Like one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was creator ownership because, um, you know, like we, we went through Gru all the way back to Pacific, like the first issue. And you talked about issue. this, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, like your letter in the back of the book and it's, it's early days for creator ownership in, in American comics. So 
what you're talking about is exactly what I wanted you to talk about. I'm, I'm very excited well, by this. I was watching your, how you call it, the, your thing, the legal things that you do with Gaiman and the other guys. Oh, yeah, the uh, depositions. That depositions. That's just, what the heck are depositions? Because I never had any type of legal problems or anything. So the position, so I watch it all fascinated by Gaiman and the other guys talking about the characters and what was that and the lady. So I've been watching your show for quite a while. I take excerpts when you interview people and things. Uh, the best one is with Jeff Darrow. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, shout out to Jeff Darrow for, for even making this conversation possible. This is a dream come true. And Sergio, this might be the uh, the only interview that, that my dad watches because uh, <laughs> he's first, watching this. first first generation uh, uh, mad, mad reader, man. So like he doesn't he doesn't um, know. Uh, you know any of this other stuff that we're we're about, man? But he he knows who Sergio Aragones is. For oh, sure. he's a friend. Of mine. I love that guy. He's an amazing <laughs> artist. And, uh, now I cannot talk about him because if he's watching, I don't want to say he's so incredible and dedicated. He, uh, no, 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 no. He did a, a double spread page for The Simpsons. It was fantastic and totally humor out of his style. Like, he's a perfect artist. You know the the. the the good guy with the details and the wrinkles and the pants and everything. Oh, yeah. But he can do humor as good. You know, he's just sensational. And uh, every time I go to Comic-Con, one of the first things I do is travel the whole room and go to say hello to him at his table. That's fun, man. I mean, he's a sensational guy, a human being and a fantastic artist. Well, anyway, so I go to visit Jorlando at DC. And he's there with... Um, I think it was, uh, I for, the problem with age is you forget names, you know, with a, 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 an artist who, who they were doing Young Romance, who was a comic that um, uh, Kirby started, you know, in the, in the 40s, Young Romance. And he, he, they were waiting for a writer to bring two stories that they needed to give to the artist. So I figured out, well, I can do that. So I, I told uh, Joe, why don't you go for lunch? And when you come back, I'll give you the, the stories. So they went for lunch. I went to the, the, the library at DC and look at young romance comics. And they were basic stories. Guy meets girl, they love each other. They get separated. She cries. He comes back and they live happily ever after. So that's that cinch. So I took a, a page, eight by ten, divided in panels, and I wrote a story how I met my wife. You know? But I changed it to be a cartoonist. I was a mariachi in Mexico, and I, I did one, and the other one I figured well how oh I remember another friend of mine how he met his wife, and I wrote a story. But I don't write it; I draw it with a very basic dialogues, like what I do with Gru. You know, you write it, you put your little balloon, and then the editors will change it. And that's what happened. You know, I, I put very basic, I love you, I miss you, for them to, to really make good English out, out of the whole thing. But it's already all drawn. So I, I gave it to him when they came back. And the guy looked at, oh, this is terrific. It saves me a lot of planning for the positions of the characters. Oh, thank you, thank you. And he left. And uh, Joe said, that's amazing. I didn't know you write comics. Is, neither did I. That's my first, first time I ever wrote one. You know? So the first one I ever did was published, you know, the both stories. So can you believe that? That's fantastic. 
so that's how it started. Then I used to go to 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 the offices, and decided to do humor pages for the House of Mystery and uh, all those things. You know, the Abel's room and Kane's room and things like that. You know, humor gags in the in the in the comics. Jo uh, um, I, uh, it goes with the names again. Um, uh, G uh, uh, Dick Giordano. No, 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 no. Um, uh, the best artist, one of the best ever, who draws Tarzan and Sergeant Rock. Uh, Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert. Oh, please, dear friend of a lifetime too. And uh, he asked me if I could do some war one-pagers. Because sometimes you have the stories and they finish here and the other finish there. And you need something in between. So for them, it was very comfortable to have an extra page with humor. So I did a lot of those to them, and that was the starting on the on my career in comics. When you came to to America, to the United States, like you said that uh, one of the things that you made some money on was doing uh, flamenco uh, poetry, mm -hmm. and uh, just doing some research. I saw that you were part of like aquatic ballet, and yes. <laughs> and and uh, another thing in school in Mexico. You learned mime from Jodorowsky. Yes. Uh, any stories about that? Uh, sure, have sure. you? And also, have you ever seen his Panic Fables comic strips that he did? I have an original. Really? Uh, does, <laughs> does Does he color the originals? No, they were in black and white then. There was no color. That's before he did the the series with the. the he had one that he was the, the guru type of thing. He drew himself as the guru. And uh, what happened is that this uh, I was in uh, study architecture. I had tried engineering because I didn't understand a word of anything. So I, engineering is because when you are the son of, a, of an immigrant, you know, a political refugee, what they want is to improve the family. They want the best for your kids. They want a world of of everything for them. So in that time, I'm talking in Asian history. They that the the thing that was more important in 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 Europe in many places was engineering, more than being a lawyer. Engineering was that thing. It had prestige and it was a very well re remunerated career because you build bridges, trains, anything. You know, it's, so I was. Uh, groomed to be an engineer, you know, even in preparatory school, I went to engineering school. But once I entered college, I realized I, that was not me. So I asked my father if I could be, go to architecture because that had more art and it was more on my field. And he says, sure, sure. So I skipped a year because I had to enter college at the, at the, at the beginning. So in 55, that was a time of a lot of fun because I went to school just to see what was happening in college. I spent the whole time in the pool. It was a lot of fun. I did a lot of traveling and it was fun. Uh, and it was the beginning of the beatniks type of thing. You know, it was sort of like a pseudo beatnik, you know. I had a little goatee, I smoked a pipe. <laughs> I wore sandals. <laughs> it was, a phony like on half of them, you know, but it was it was very interesting that so in architecture 
one of my dearest friends, two of them, were in the theater group. And every time I finish classes, I will go to, to look for them. And I sat at the theater waiting for them to finish their rehearsal so we could go and go play pool or do whatever. And it happened many times that, Sergio, come over, read these lines because so-and-so didn't come in. So they give you the script and then you, you read the lines, you know, for somebody who wasn't there. And then you go with your friends out. And uh, so slowly I entered the theater group. I was part of that, you know, and uh, I, did, I told them, I don't want to be a big part. I don't want to learn memory lines and things. I just little parts to be here because it was a lot of fun. But uh, Marcel Marceau, the mime, came to the theater in Mexico. And because we were at the theater university, we got passes, as many as we wanted. So the whole theater group was going to go there, and they asked me to be the translators. Uh, French was my first language, so I, I spoke, speak French. So I went there to translate to Marcel Marceau, to that group, you know, because his English was pretty bad. And Alejandro Jodorowsky was one of the mimes that was working with Marcel Marceau. He had written things for, Mar for Marceau. I mean, some of the parts that they are exceptional, Alejandro wrote for, for Marceau. And Marceau, what he did is, uh, before Marceau did a part, he will come with another mime, and they did a little routine, and they put a title that said, The Magician. And tick, 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 they disappear. And then Marceau will come and do their the magic trick and things. And they asked Marceau to stay in Mexico to open a school, but he couldn't because of his his career was already all planned. I mean, he's booked all over the world. But Alejandro from Chile, speaks perfect Spanish, of course, decided that he will stay in Mexico and open a pantomime school. And so my friend, a couple of them joined the, the theater. And I, I figured out, well, pantomime is, I've been in love with pantomime also all my life by the movies, you know, the theater. And uh, I, I said, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing pantomime. So if I learn pantomime, I can apply it to my cartoons. You know, instead of having to watch somebody posing, I can know the poses because pantomime is all about weight and, and, and reactions, you know. Everything is there for a cartoonist to learn in my style of pantomime. So I asked him, and says, I would like to join your group, but I don't want to be a mime. First, I, I am two feet taller than all your average actor, you know, look ridiculous over there. So I want to, uh, to, to learn. Says, oh, that sounds a great idea. So when he did a place in Mexico, I drew in a big glass thing with white face and everything. I will draw what was going to happen. Instead of writing a magician, I will draw a magician or the escalators or whatever he was, the, the minds were going to do. So we worked together on the theater. So we became pretty good friends then. You know, I mean, I'm talking late 50s, early 60s. But by then, Alejandro was very much into the movies. He did a couple of movies. And by then, that's when I left Mexico to go to the United States. But we, we continue for many years seeing each other in France. And uh, when the El Topo, are you familiar with the movie El Topo? Oh, yeah. When, when it opened in the States, the press conference was in my house in, in Los Angeles. You know, so. 
And uh, we've been together many times in conventions with each other, you know. I, I, in one of the conventions, I don't remember where he was. He didn't want to come because he didn't like the, the American interviewers because they didn't know his work. So I says, well, if I can help, you know, ah. So I, I was in, I sat with him in his interview and we chat and translate and everything. It was a lot of fun. So he's an amazing man, one of the very few artists that I consider out of the normal, you know, like uh, I don't want to use abuse the word genius, you know, but he's an exceptional man. His knowledge of everything. I mean, the, uh, no, 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 he's an incredible man. It's it's fascinating how like doing research for for this episode and and speaking with Jeff Darrow, uh, he gave gave us some scoop and just how you tangentially touch like so many interesting people inside outside of comics uh the story about you know your father being a film producer in, in mexico and you know you you wake up one morning and toshihiro mifuni the famous akira kurosawa actor is you know eating cereal in your in your kitchen or something yeah well i, I was really going to school and and i hear my father on the phone talking with uh, toshiro mifuni that well we needed him at the studio and i went I was on my bike already. <laughs> Go here to listen to my dad. And he's talking, Mifun is in Mexico, going to do a movie that my father is on the production part of it. And my mind went like, I did a story in, I do a comic called uh, Sergio Aragones Funnies, which was published by Bongo. We did 12 issues. And in issue number 12, I talk about my encounter with with Mifune. Oh man, I pestered my dad like you. I was there all the time. Oh, hi, dad. This is what you're doing in the studio. Never come, you know. Oh, no, no. Oh, that's in Mifune. Hello, <laughs> glad to meet you. <laughs> he was, I followed him all the way to Oaxaca where they were shooting some exterior shots. I took the bus just to, and my father, oh no, he's here again. You know? <laughs> he was, I was totally taken by that gentleman. He was a real gentleman, Toshiro Mifune. I have a picture with him and my dad. And then he came to the States. He was uh, the Japanese parade, the Nisei, Nisei parade in in Little Tokyo. And uh, I went to see him. And my wife keeps saying, go and say hello to him. He says, he won't remember me. You know what I mean? He says, no, no, he will. I mean, he, you, you were with him, you're traveling Oaxaca. You show him, he will, he heading you home, paella. My mother made paella every time when some guests came, some actors, she will make paella for them. You know, my father was very proud showing the, the house and all that. So he, he ate at home. And I remember one sitting at the dining room, he's eating with his translator and then showing him my cartoons, explaining <laughs> them to them, you know, like he said, he thought I was nuts. But uh, it was just extraordinary. I, and when he was in LA, I, I, uh, I went and say hello to him. And he stood up there dressed like a samurai, you know, he was sitting. And suddenly he was like this, ah, I stand up and start looking around. And I go like this, it says, ah, he invited me to go there. And I sat with him and he, he asked about my mother, how was she, you know. And he sent my mother a Christmas card from when he left Mexico every Christmas. He sent a card to her. 
when my father died, he sent a, a letter of, of uh, you know, uh, of. Uh, so he was a, really an incredible man too. But yeah, I, I met him. Yeah, <laughs> that was. I was an asshole. Did a fun, you know, super fun. <laughs> We're trying to hold it together yeah, ourselves really. <laughs> right here, right now, man. Aye, aye, aye. It's such an interesting life. Like, like as Ed said, you know, researching a little bit for this episode, there's so many parts of your story that I think that's a secret for how you're a great cartoonist. But then <laughs> it also feels like you have an energy that you're born with. Um, you know, it's it's not just taking a, a pantomime class with a great teacher that teaches you to be a great pantomime artist. Um, you know, it feels like this is something that was already inside of you and maybe you nurtured it along the way with, with theater, um, you know, possibly learning from your father about storytelling a little bit. Um, no, no, no. He, he was um, a good producer. His job was to save money for the, for the company. You know what I mean? He was the guy who puts the, the order of shooting. You know, I mean, he's not the guy with the money. He's the guy who produces the, the movie. And, and he goes and says, well, we have to shoot all these uh, these things over there before because the cost of going there is going to be more expensive than paying these guys. You know, so we have to shoot all this together. And then we can shoot this because we have to get rid of this guy fast so we don't have to keep paying him more things like that producing is not as oh okay let's hire that guy and do that you know no it's it's a very complex system when you work in it you know i mean now they offer you the production oh if you if you sell us your cartoon for little money we'll make you a producer oh okay i'd be a producer in the movie yeah they'd screw you up so bad you know what i mean but it is a, it's a, uh, you, you grew up in an industry and when you see it from the, from the inside, you don't really want it to do it. You know, I mean, being an actor to me was waking up very early, going for makeup, sitting there a couple of hours, putting the makeup, then got dressed and then memorizing lines and sitting like an idiot at, at the set all day long, doing nothing until your time comes and then you get up and say, blah, 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 blah. Cut, then you go back, see it, check if you did it right. That's acting for for the movies. Theater is different, you know? I mean, it's, you memorize and, and you do it. But I was interesting, one of the reasons that the girls were the only ones in Mexico that stay after 12, you know, because rehearsals. <laughs> So it was, there was no one part on the movie industry that I wanted to, to do. Directing is not on my character. I have never been able to, to tell people what to do or if he's good, that's good. And his art is, I, I don't, I cannot improve it. You know, my, Tom Luth, my colorist, which is a terrific colorist. I don't have to tell him anything. How can I correct a guy who knows color better than, than I? You know, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not a director at all. I can direct me drawing and what characters I need to use and everything because they don't give me any shit. <laughs> you know? I do whatever I want. I can choose the clothing. I can choose everything. You know? So I'm a director for me, you know, to my things. Sergio, you mentioned going from, uh, from New York and you were going to move to California. 
what what brought you to California? Um, family, the, my first wife's family uh, lived there, and my wife wanted to be closer to them. So for a while, I was by coastal. You know, I did, did a lot of traveling to New York and back to California, and. Uh, so it, it, California is a wonderful place to live, you know, I mean, I love the ocean because I grew up far away from it. So all my dreams were the ocean, you know, the pirates. The sh so every time in uh, California, right there, I just take my uh, the car and go to the to the beach. And, wow. Yeah, so it's, so uh, in New York, the same thing. I, I while I was there, when I, I, I we're in California to New York and back and forth. I had a boat over there, you know, uh, on the marina, and I, I lived aboard the boat, you know. So I will, I had a car and I will go to the city and in a place called Greenport, Long Island, which is a fantastic little town. So it, it was great sailing. And one of my dreams since I was a kid was one day going my sailboat and mooring a place like that. I sat there and get myself a Roman Coke and start writing. It was, you know, the fantasies that you have. I don't know what you guys you have as a as a super fantasy that you want to do, you know. But that was my, one of mine, you know. And one day there I am. I have a beautiful boat. I go sailing by myself. I find a very beautiful secluded bay. I drop anchor, load the sails, put my my canopy. And I said, I prepare myself for a rum and coke. And then I go outside and okay, now what? <laughs> There's nobody there to look at it or tell them, see, I, I'm doing my fantasy dream. <laughs> so you drink more rum and coke and then you just, you just don't work a bit. <laughs> you wake up late, oh my God, I had to go back. And uh, that was... <laughs> Sergio, I have uh, some some drawing questions uh, sure. for you, sir. Uh, looking through issues of Gru, uh, looking throughout all of your your comics work, uh, it strikes me it's it, the material is so well referenced. Like, let's talk about boats, great pirate ships, great uh, tools, uh, horse and carriage, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it's all filtered through your own vision. And I am curious what your approach to reference is. Do you, do you have a morgue file? Do, do you look at a lot of stuff and, and sketch the, the real life version? How do you internalize this material? Well, um, I have a library, which I don't see that more <laughs> because this machine that's in front of me. You know? But I have reference about everything. I must have about... 20 or 40 books just about military uniforms from all the eras and airplanes, cars, name it, and I have reference. But now it's very simple. I just touch uh, Google Images and I put uh, parrots, there's a million parrots, you know. So it's not as practical as the books because you know exactly what you need. Here you have to search a little more in the computer, but it's there trains, cars, everything. So I'm a hobbyist. I always uh, love to build things. And I, I have all, I'm, I'm building a, a, a little thing called Arbol de la Vida when I'm thinking ideas or when I'm finish a page or something and I want to take a break. For instance, I build like little miniatures. Wow. 
is a Mexican chair. You know, I carve it and put the pieces together. And it's going to be on a big Mexican thing called Arbol de la Vida, which is a tree of life, which is they made in ceramics. But instead of making ceramics, I'm making it on, on the, with the little things. This is it's called uh, Ojo de Dios, you must see, made by the Huichol Indians. So I make these little miniatures too. So it's, it's uh, uh, these are uh, masks, for instance, they go to be in the arbor. One is uh, uh, the Blue Demon. This is a Mexican tiger type of uh, mask. And this is another type of papier-mâché type of mask that they sell. So the three classic type of Mexican masks. You can see that right there. So it's just wood, you know. But that entertains me. And for the ships, I build model ships. I belong to the model guild, uh, the daily models. So I build the models, build model ships, and uh, also wood. <laughs> and then uh, I use it as reference because I, I, I believe that when you're drawing something and you draw it bad, it breaks the continuity of the story automatically because if you are an expert on ships or you are an expert on tanks or an expert on whatever you are, and suddenly something that you're familiar with is wrong, it takes you away from the story because it's, it's not right. So I try to accurate in cartoon form, not, not realistic, something that cannot distract from the story. Cooking fighting, weapons, uh, homes. I have the fortune that I have traveled all over the world, so I have seen it in person. You know, in Africa, I have my slides. I, I, and you look and, and you obtain information about it. So everything that you see in GRU comes from a totally research part, which, believe me, is what takes sometimes more part. I, uh, if, if I have a, a, a guy doing glass ceramics or, or, or blowing glass, be assured that those are the right tools to blow glass or to do ceramic or do carpentry, they're the right tools. Because it's important, even in humor, for the, the not to distract from the story by a badly drawn something, no matter if it's serious or, or, or that. You know, so it's it's to be very important. So I have taken classes about everything, and uh, once you learn it, I stop. You know, you've got something else. You know, so it's uh, it's it's important for your craft. You know, even if you know that it's there, nobody's going to pay attention to it. You know, that's that's okay. You did grew on a on a monthly basis. You did the work for Mad on a monthly basis. Really, never never skipping a month. What was the, like, what's the workload like? Because that's not all you're doing. There's like bloopers of practical jokes, animations, and other comic book specials. And you, you, your work would appear other places. I mean, this, this must be a seven day a week enterprise, huh? It's a lifetime. You know, no, there's no, no, the only thing that separates from my work is my family. And it's, they are here. <laughs> so it's no, no, no big, big separation. But don't forget that GRU is a group team. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't do GRU without Mark Evanier. Mark Evanier 
not only is a is a, a dearest friend, but it's, it's in the many years that I know him from a lifetime, you know, it seems we have never had a discussion that lasted more than that a minute or so. And then we both agreed that the other guy was right. You know, so it's, it doesn't make a sense. But when I started uh, Guru, I knew I couldn't do a comic book with dialogues, my, with my English. Now I've been here, what, 60 years or more, and I still have troubles pronouncing and doing stuff or putting phrases in the right way. The vocabulary is fine because it's the same one in every language. You know what I mean? The, the, the right words. But with that mark, Gru couldn't exist. See, uh, when many times I, I, we have sit in a coffee house, as, as you guys sit, and you say, oh, man, wh why don't we do a story about that? And uh, he, Mark, will say, why don't we do a story about this? You know, that's something that he has. And says, don't say anymore. That's perfect. And I go and I write it. But I write it very loose. Then he, he gets it, and then he correct not only corrects the English he makes the story words wise you know the story's there but he changed sometimes he's a great editor says and a good comic he's been writing comics all his life and does television and everything he says you see this section here you put it in the back it'll be funnier or ch change these two pages put them back because then you will break this pantomime thing into talking blah blah so he's in 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 per se he's the editor of the magazine He's, he corrects my English. He writes all the funny things that you read, like uh, oral gods. Those are marks. You know, I, I cannot come with a, a sentence that is humorous in English. It's not in Spanish either, because it's my work's pantomime. You know, so, so it's a, it's a great collaboration. Stan Sakai with the lettering. I mean, he has never failed us. When we did uh, Groove for Marvel, and it's, Tom, that's the silent hero. He colors magnificent, and uh, no one ever is a mistake there. Ever. Sometimes I forget to put the black eye and refer to the dog, and Mark catches it and he fills it up. <laughs> but we, we did grew for 10 years, 120 issues, and we were never late. I have never had an assistant for drawing. I have drawn every every line that you see, and the color Tom and and, and Mark being in there. He was busy doing animation and Garfield directing voices and everything. He always took his time to 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 to, to work with me. And Stan Sakai has a very successful character, Usagi Yojimbo, who's going to be animated and everything. He's a big, big guy now taking work for production and doing this and that and traveling and meeting animation and thing. And he still does my lettering because he's a friend and, and he is part of a team, you know? So it's, uh, I had great friends. I had great friends. But yeah, 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 I pay attention to the tale. Yep. What, uh you have a very distinct ink line. Uh, have you been using this the same kind of pen uh, all this time has has have the tools changed over time yes in the beginning when i was in mexico i just used whatever tool i had in my hand because i went there the same day they printed the cartoons so whatever space i had you know i will use anything that was black you know i will draw it 
I have always have phantom pens. I have a fascination by them, you know. But not only I like them, I use them because for a while I, I have my inkwell, you know, and you put your thing. But when you join and, and in humor, the speed of the line helps describe things. And you cannot do that with a pen because if you put it in the wrong direction, it doesn't work. So you have to go like that and dip it and continue. So I many, many years ago, I discovered phantom pens that they have a flexibility. From the beginning, Gru has been drawn with a phantom pen. So I have changed phantom pens, you know. I, I'm having this one now. It's a, I think it's a pilot thing. And I, I fill it up with India ink, which is a, a Japanese India ink, which is kind of expensive, but uh, it's called uh, carbon ink. And it's thick. So what I do is I take care of my tools, you know, you clean them and, and they work good. So when you draw in a line, you got thin and thick. And when you make that curve, whoop, you can, oh, you need zinc already. You, you can, you can, you can see the, 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 the thick and thin that the phantom pen can go. And, and then you, when you, when you draw, you, ah, you, you can, you can do the expressions without having to, to worry about, about anything, you know, because the, the pen can go in, a, in any direction, you know, when, when, when you're doing it. So it's, uh, I have one for, for thicker, for thicker lines. I don't know if this one is loaded because, no, it's not. Because this one, uh, this one is, you know. And I found that, oh yeah. And this is for thinner lines, you know, for instance, uh, when, when you want to draw Ruferto, you know, you like, ah. You know, and, and, and it photographs pretty good. You know, you do a, a quick Ruferto and, uh, and the line works nice. You don't have to dip it and the, the continuity goes. I pencil it very little, very, very loose. Many of the gags I don't because they don't need to be penciled, but with Gru, you have to situate the characters. So first I do it in blue line to place the characters right. And then I, I pencil it very loose. And then it's, it's, uh, it's send, I, I go to Marx and describe the whole story. I read it to him, you know, and then he writes it, you know, and types it and send it to, to, to Stan. And I send Stan the pencils because I cannot put the expression until I know what Mark had ended with the, what, what is the expression. So I can draw everything around except the faces because I want to know exactly what, what the expression is. That's, you know, like, that's ah, genius. That's genius. You know? And it also is such a relief to hear that you do some penciling because I'm thinking about those very congested uh, two-page spreads that have 100 characters on there. And well, I don't do pencil there. You don't pencil those? No, because I, I, the only thing you do is, is you, you place the characters on, on, a, on an area for size or perspective, which architecture helped me a lot on that. But depends on the angle that you're going to see your, your scene, you know, I mean, from you feel yourself where, where you want to make it better, you know, 
and then you have it on your head and says, well, if Groot's coming this, he has to be on the main character. So you switch the whole thing and you have it here and then all the little people on the back. So first you do that in your head, you know, sitting there like a zombie like that, talking to yourself, you know, until you, you get exactly what you want. And then what you do is you draw where the cards are going to be. So you draw them very loose for proportion. You put a big one here and a middle one here and a little one here for the perspective to write a, a few buildings and that. And then you take your pen and start adding characters and soldiers falling down and as it falls, you know. The only ones that I pencil is when they have to touch. If a guy is shaking hands, you you, you want the hand, the correct hand, you know. Or when somebody's going like that with a guy and pushing that you want the right nose to be in the the right place so you, you pencil a little so you don't make mistakes you know so and it goes and it goes on uh, pelican is one of my favorite pens because uh, it has great flow with india ink <laughs> but nowadays for the young artists when they ask me what pen do you use i tell them forget about the pen forget about the ink you draw in the computer draw in blue if you feel like it because then you take the computer make it black and it makes it black all the lines. I, I, I wish I had learned about computers when they came out, because I'd be using them, because it would save you a lot of time by, by, by taking the pencil and putting it below. I don't know how you do the computer. You make another one, and then you erase it and things like that. My problem is I cannot memorize all the process to arrive to that point. See, it's too many little steps. I can talk about it to guys how they do it, how to do it. But I couldn't do it because it's a lot of little things in between. You have to erase that one, put that one, take that, put it down, touch your brush, change the brush, change the color, do that one. It's a lot of steps that I will forget. And I couldn't. So sadly, I cannot use a computer except for research and what we're doing right now, which is a lot of fun. But, uh, and also don't forget, this is a very lonely career. You sit there, guys drawing, hours pass, your wife calls you, Sergio, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay, you know. But it, it is alone. You sit there and you work. So it's uh it's 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 you have to to manage your times. You know, I I did what I had to do when I was young. I traveled, I built, I did everything that I wanted to do when I was young, because I know that at a certain age, I will have to stop doing that by logic, you know, not, not because I don't want to, but by logic, you stop doing a lot of things that you could do when you were young. It's, it's so, uh, I'm, I'm so surprised to hear you describe, you know, the isolation of cartooning just because you strike me as being so social. It's, it's a little bit unusual. Um, your personality based on cartoonists that I know, you know, most of us are hunched back, uh, you know, away from the world, hunched over our, our drawing table. Um, but you seem so just, you know, friendly and, and your personality is so big. Have you worked like in a studio or a shared space with other cartoonists? No. No. I had never had a job ever of any kind except doing animation, which I did on my own when I was hired by George Slaughter to do a show called um, Laughing, the, the second, we did six specials 
with Robin Williams and other actors. You know, it was a lot of fun. That's the only time that I went to a studio to work. Uh, it was close to a year, but I didn't have to go there every day. You know, I, I work at home, did all my things. And I went there uh, and I had a people w working for me doing animation things and stuff. But they were basically my ideas and my drawings. You know, I mean, I did a key drawings and they did the rest. So, but besides that, like a job, that going to an office, everything is, I've been very fortunate. I never done it. You know, I've been a cartoonist all my life. I started in high school and I haven't stopped yet. Yeah. So. Um, so I have some questions about the very beginning of publication of Gru. Uh, you know, you talked about coming back from Europe and having the idea of owning your own character, your own creations. Correct. Did other cartoonists, were you telling other people in comics about it? How did other cartoonists react? And how did you get to Pacific, uh, the first publisher of Gru? Well, that that is uh, so long ago. What happened is that I have created Gru uh, in the late 70s, the mid 70s, but I have the idea long before. So I've been drawing and writing my stories for Gru without finishing them or anything, just excerpts to, to look at the character, what he was. And I was not going to give it away. That was it. I had a great fortune that I had Mad Magazine. And for all the beginning, the only thing we had with Bill Gaines was, was a handshake. And says, there's no contract here. And says, no, if I don't like your work, I don't hire you. And if you don't like what I'm paying you, you can fire, go away anytime you want. So we have a mutual understanding there until they force him to, to do that work for hire, you know. And uh, I knew what entitled, I, I didn't have a character of my own. I know that he had a control on, on, the, on the books and everything. So I was forced to sign it, which is illegal if you don't have a lawyer with you to sign the contract. And then they said about signing the back of the checks. I never signed the back of my checks. I had my wife sign it. Never. So this, as you say, things for litigation, but I don't care. Mad pay me generously. No complaints about that. And because it's a big company, they have so many properties that they really don't care about humor. So they haven't really screwed me up that much. With originals, Bill kept them for a long time because in those times it was cheaper to photograph with a foreign edition from an original that having, there was no computers then, that having to go and send the things to be made copies for the French one and for the for their, uh, all the other countries, you know. And what he did is with that money that he made from the foreign countries, because he didn't know how to divide it, because they bought more pages of Don Martin, one, one country and the other bought more of more Drucker, but they didn't buy that issue because the movie hasn't been in that country. So it, it is a, a, a really, a complex thing. So he puts all the money and that he spent it on trips with us. You know, so it was fine with me. So, but if it's something that I create with a character, I'm not going to give it away. You know, it's mine alone. Would you get participation in uh, the, like the mad look paperback uh, books that would come out and things? Those are mine. Oh, cool. Those, they were not published in MAD. 
I pay Bill Gates 25% for the usage of the name Mad. Ah, I, I figured it out. A pocketbook with Sergio's name alone, it won't sell shit then. But if he says Mad, so all my books are Viva Mad, Mad About Mad, Mad Tross, Mad as a Devil. I did 16 of them. Those are mine. That's genius. I had no idea. That, that is, that is so smart, man. Yeah, Bill Pay uh, took from the check is 25%. And he had the right to sell it in the, 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 the paperbacks in his office. You know how people subscribe and they, they buy it. But no, I, I have the right to do whatever I want with them. I, I don't think I can use the word mad because it's theirs with all rights, you know. But the material was never published in the magazine, so it's mine. That's... I have 16 books. And I have other books that I did. I did uh, a cartoon find uh, f uh, 10 things for the weekly news, we weekly world news. I did two years of them, so I have 150 pages, massive pages of million things on it to make a book out of it. It's mine too. And I have a lot of things that they mine. You know, so. That seems so forward thinking uh, in, in terms of the comics business. It's so weird, American comics, because it's like comic books are a completely different business than comic strips or magazine ca cartoons. And yet we don't all learn from this. Like, it, it seems like such smart business moves on your part. Well, many years I learned that in the United States, you don't get what you deserve. <laughs> you get what you negotiate. Somebody said that and I thought it was like, wow, that's true. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. So in basis of that, you negotiate. You get your lawyers. For animation, we have our lawyers working, you know. And because of Mark has been my friend and collaborator for so many years, whatever we do outside the comics, like animation, we got to go 50-50 there. Why? Because he deserved it and because he's my friend and he's the best thing that ever happened to Gru. Read, read some articles recently about about Gru being an animated series after after you know forty years of of comics production. Uh, how how are things progressing with that? Are, are the production teams working with you and uh, Mark? To well, uh, the, the rights for it had been already acquired before for uh, for a lapse of time, and the guys couldn't sell it, so it didn't sell. So they revert back to me. So. Uh, we we get paid handsomely every time somebody wants to sell it, and then they don't sell it, and we make pretty good money out of it. So same thing here; they have the rights, and let's hope it goes. This time they have the advantage of computers, so they can do advertising and they can entice uh, other producers to see. Hey, see, there's a lot of people who like Gru, you know. And as I told many other people, don't involve me until. I have to decide, no, that's not Gru's nose, you know, <laughs> so, so it's uh, so far it's so good, you know, so. You mentioned, uh, you know, your, your uh, Mark Evanier, your friend, your, your, your writing partner there. Um, I think of one thing I associate him with is Jack Kirby. Yeah. And then one thing I associate you and Jack Kirby with is Comic-Con. You know, when I think of the cartoonists that have, have, you know, been a big part of Comic-Con and Comic-Con history. I think of both of you. Do you have any Jack Kirby stories? Did you have a relationship with Jack Kirby? Yeah, sure, sure. I, I, uh, I never, to tell you the truth, the only comics that interest me in my life were humor comics, you know, that, uh, and uh, uh, 
funny animals, you know, like Little Lulu was one of my favorite comics, you know, because he was humorous and, and he was for children, but I loved it because he was written by adults, you know, it was a lot of fun. But I never read a, a Marvel comic or ever, ever, you know, no, no, I'm not familiar with, with that type of um, storytelling. You know? um, I, I started reading comics once I was in the United States because I was on the, on the guest lists of many companies. So I read and, and discovered many things. I have this, I discovered Kirby much later. I discovered him when I met him as a friend in one of the conventions. And then he was such a gentleman that we became friends. And then I start looking at his work because this is, well, it must be a reason. And I look and I realize the relationship between him as a creator compared to Stan Lee's as a filler in for his stories, you know, and some people screwing other people by the rights, not putting names and shit like that. That sometimes didn't have to do with them. It had to do with uh, lawyers and accountants that they don't want to do things just because, you know, and, and the rationale escapes me, but it, it is, so he became a, a, a very good friend. I visit him and his wife at, at, at home, you know, with with Mark, who worked with him so many years, and learning how important he was in the comic book industry. He became one, I became a fan of his, you know, when he did Kamandi, I love the story. You know, that was probably the, the only comic that I really read as a comic book a lot. I love, in Mexico, we had the Blackhawks. And can I tell you something that, about that? One of the comics that arrived that was translated to Spanish was Blackhawks, Los Halcones Negros, Blackhawks. And I love the artwork. There was this guy, which is, my name is, the name is Kaby, who used these poses with a, a standing, oh, they were fantastic. He was just the best artist ever of serious comics. And I would love to say, how can he draw so well? You know, I mean, the, the actions of the guys, very famous guy who drew the Blackhawks. And uh, one day I buy the issue, the Blackhawks, Los Halcones Negros, and, uh, and the, the art is terrible. I says, what is this? It was drawn by, sadly, by a Mexican artist, but without the, the quality of the, that guy. And says, I don't understand, the Blackhawks is a, it's a garbage now, you know, I mean, compared to, so I stopped buying it because it was bad. So a few months later, a new comic comes out called El Halcón Dorado, the Golden Hawk. So I bought it and it's a good art. The guy's drawing it like, ah! and I couldn't figure it out what happened, you know. But the, later I, it was explained to me that when the publishers or Los Halcones Negros bought the, the rights to publish the Blackhawks, they owe the title in Spanish. The Americans don't own it. They own the Spanish Halcones Negros. So they figured it out, well, we own the title. Let's put a new artist to draw it. And they could do that. So they did it. And the guys who bought the rights for the art and the script couldn't use the Halcones Negros. So they had to give him a new title. So they call it the Golden Hawk. So the Golden Hawk had the good art and the Halcones Negros had the bad art. 
things that happen with publishers, you know. No, no, no. It's it's complicated. Were you a kid whenever you noticed that the you know like the that it was the rights and the different artists and stuff? Was that something that you learned at a young age? Yeah, about 14, 12, 13, you know, that age. Because you realize the artist, you know, to me, one of my idols was a guy called, um, uh, who, who did the little king, Otto Soglo. He did a little character that, uh, um, it's easy if I, if I use the, the market. It's, it's a, it, it was, a lot of pantomime. The, the little guy was like this. He has the two eyes. He has a little crown like this, and a mustache like a beard. He was a guy who, who looked more or less like this, you know. Right. And that was Otto Soglo. So you can you start recognizing the characters by the name of, of some artists very early because there's a difference. You know, the, even the tars and strips on the newspapers, or or or, or the, uh, the, the 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 thing with the Prince Valiant. You know, you could tell who 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 was that is, and suddenly he changes. They change in the states already, but you can tell as a, as, a, as a guy who draws. You know, you, you can. So you have your favorites. That Donald Duck. You you could tell who was the good stories by Barks. You know. And then the, the best thrill is I come to the States, I belong to the National Cartoon Society, I go there, and then I start meeting them, all of them. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like being in, in, a, in a kingdom that exists only in our world, that nobody will ever understand, you know, never. Because in other fields of acting, well, everything is involved, it's a teamwork. But when you see an artist that you love, and you meet him, you have the experience. You meet them. I had it. I met all my idols. In Luca, I met Oski, who was my, my first influence. He was an old man. And at the same time, Brescia, which is another fantastic, serious artist from Argentina. It was Mordillo, which is a friend of mine also, who did all those calendars and things, funny cartoons, with around guys, with around feet. He was there too. And Ziraldo from Argentina, and the guy who draws Mafalda, Kino, all of them, I have a picture with them, you know, and we went to convention, we see each other, talk Spanish, of course, the whole time, but it, it, it is just a, a small world that we are very privileged that we can see meet the people that we have learned from, you know, uh, the, the, I met Ruth Goldberg in one of my early arrivals, and he invited me to his studio. That's the guy who did all the inventions, mm -hmm. Robert. He was a very simple, great cartoonist. He was sculpting, he invites me there to his house, an apartment, and has two apartments, one in the house, the other studio, with nothing in it except his, uh, his thing where he was doing. And I'm sitting there with him, looking at him, and instead of looking at what he's doing, like, I'm in front of a genius, from, who was a genius from my father. You know, and there he is. And then, uh, it's, it, it, to me, those are the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was meeting all these people that I knew by the work. It's an indescribable feeling. I think I know the feeling. Yes. <laughs> it's like deja vu. <laughs> so it's, uh, 
It's a great, great fun. And I wanted to do things when I was young, so I didn't have to do them when I'm old. You know, all the traveling. I have a friend, Dick Young, which is a great documentary maker, and he filmmaker documentaries. I get a call and say, Sergio, you want to go to Antarctica? I says, sure. He says, well, you'll be my uh, my camera assistant. <laughs> so sure. So uh, the only thing I had to do with him, it's a dear friend of mine, we, we, we travel and the only thing I carry a couple of cases <laughs> and I'm his assistant, right? Oh, we had some time, you know. So you went to Antarctica? Yeah, and we went to my ship. The, the first ship that went there was a Limblad Explorer. And the trip we were, it was just full with the scientists that they were going to give the lectures. There was no passengers there. So we are, Dikaya and I are filming, uh, uh, he was doing a documentary on a scientist who was the curator of the New York uh, Museum called Sir Robert Koshman Murphy, who had been studying in, in the Falkland Islands and in uh, um, an island called South Georgia, where Shackleton, Shackleton was a British Navy who was discovered in Antarctica and he got trapped over there. He left the wreck, went to South Georgia Island, get help and rescue all his crew. Fantastic hero, Shackleton, amazing story. So there I am with Dick visiting all these places by ship, meeting Roger Torrey Pearson, which is a great bird guy, as a, a guy who has all these books about birds. He was part of the crew too. And he was pointing an old Antarctic bird. So suddenly you are learning about bird watching from the top men. <laughs> so it's a sensational trip. And with him, I went to, to the Himalayas, to Bhutan. He also called and says, you want to go to Bhutan? Because he was going to make a documentary over there. But then he already had his assistant camera. So I went doing sound. I had to take a, a, a crash course on the Nagra to do that. He did mostly all of it, but I was just pretending to be there. You know? So I did some of the sound because it was easy holding the microphone. But... So we went to all these countries, we went to a tiger uh, uh, place in India, you know. So it's been fascinating traveling with him to, to amazing places. You and then with Mad, every place, and with my wife. So I, I travel all over the world, just to fantastic places. It's just Incredible. fantastic, fantastic thinking about that in terms of also keeping up with your deadlines and, and, oh, and still I, being in Mad every month and everything. If you look through in many pages in the border, you'll see where I was inking them. Is that so? I, if you look on the corner, it's a little sign that says uh, Turkey or Bangladesh or whatever it is, because I was inking that page at night wow. at the hotel. So if you look at them, many issues in the 70s and part of the 80s, every time conventions that I go to Spain, I take that work with me because I had to do a page a day. So when I finish everything that I'm doing, I go to the hotel and finish my page. Then I put Sevilla, Seville or Guadalajara, wherever I am, I put the little name where I'm making that page. Or the marginals, I don't put that name because it's so small. But I take it with me all the time. You enjoy during the day and you say goodbye, get to the hotel, put a little light, 
I remember once in, in Paris, many years ago, I thought I'm going to work on the hotel room and the only light that is, is a small light in top of the bed, Kai high. And I says, how can I work here? So I had to put the table, a little table who was there, you know, to put things in the top of the bed and put the chair in top of the bed. So the light was there, you know, I put it as close as I could to the table. And then I, I mean, the table is moving all over because it's on the bed. Then I finish a page there. <laughs> Man, that's a real cartoonist that's a right real there. Cartoon. That's exactly <laughs> the thinking. <laughs> but, but I have been, um, I have thought and, and pencil marginals in the train, you know, and, uh, in, and I remember uh, um, Stan Sakai were traveling in, in Finland. <laughs> and there I am in the train going from one place to another doing the marginals, you know, and he was amazed. How can you do it? The train is moving. He says, well, you just move with a train. So it's fine. You are not feeling anything because you are not against it, you know. So you, you get the rhythm of the train, you know, and then you start inking with a rhythm. So it, it doesn't bother. So it's, it's fun. Sergio, I'm ready for you to put together your like the, your graphic memoirs. The, 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 you, you've led like quite the life of a cartoonist. I mean, we, you know, we talked to a lot of cartoonists and uh, I don't feel like any of them have had the, the adventures that you've had. Very fortunate, very fortunate. Having the right friends, having that desire to visit, to learn, to see other cultures. And I, I, I was a judge in Turkey uh, on a festival of cartooning. So they invited some cartoonists with a certain name to be judges. One from France, Greece, myself, and uh, uh, I don't remember the other country. So we were there to Turkey to judge all these cartoons, you know, tons of them. Uh, strangely, very few Americans, because usually cartoonists in the United States don't enter competitions because they don't pay. They just get medals and things like that. So they, they do it for the money besides enjoying their work. But the majority of cartoonists all over the world enter competitions to show their work besides where they work. So there's compet cartoon competitions all over. And once in Turkey, I was a judge. And then I was invited again on the anniversary of that thing. And I was there. So all paid first class. It's amazing. So you meet a lot of cartoonists, the, the established ones, the judges, the places. And uh, you see a country in a completely different way. Because what you see as a tourist, they take you to certain places that they made for the tourists to see. But when you see a country like in a comic book convention or invited like we were in Turkey, my wife and I, they took us to normal homes, middle-class normal homes. You know, you feel at home. And the cooking is normal. And they take you to places that they love, which is not the tourist place. So you see a, a different side of the countries, you know, the conventions too, they, the, the friends from there, they take you to, to their hangouts and things. So it's, it's a very privileged group that we belong to. If you allow it to enter. Got to be willing to, to ink in a hotel room in Paris when you have the Eiffel Tower <laughs> right, right outside the, the hotel room. Easy. That's the easy part. <laughs> Sergio, you, you showed us those those uh, those wooden miniatures that you cut, that you put together and paint and everything. 
what kind of cartooning and stuff are you are you doing these days? Well, I'm still doing commissions. Believe it or not, Matt has asked me for, even though they're not using new material now, they have asked me for new ma marginals because some of the pages don't have the marginals on them. So I have already do two sets for them and I'm wor wor working on the next group, you know, which is a four pay, a four issue. So I'm still doing group. I'm still once in a while doing mad. I'm doing a couple of projects with, because of the pandemic, it's been kind of uh, not seen a lot of things happening, you know, so you do it. For instance, already Dark Horse has f four, four sets, uh, a complete set of comics that I haven't been able to print because they just did the Tarzan one, which was very late. So now they have another four comics to, to print. I don't think it has been colored yet, but they have all the four issues finished. And it's called Gods Against Gru, which is of the series of the gods. So we do four, 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 and make uh, three graphic novels, and then we make a book out of it. So I'm doing the next series, you know, which I'm writing right now. Is is your uh, is your commission list full, or or is there an address you want to point people to? Uh, we do have a big audience, so it could be a mistake to give an email address for yourself or something like that. But uh... well, my daughter has it. Uh, and I really don't take care of any of that. Uh, she comes to me and says, this guy wants this commission. And this is one that I can show you, which I finished. The guy wanted to pay pretty good money for it. He wanted something related to the fine arts and grew. He's an art collector. And uh, he wanted a Salvador Dali thing with the clocks and grew there. And I says, no, I cannot do that because it, it is an anachronism, grew and be with the clocks. So I suggested Geronimus Bosch, because that will fit Gru, you know, you're familiar with his work. So I did uh, uh, Gru in the world of Geronimus Bosch. This is a classic character with a guy farting birds, and there's Gru being attacked by Geronimus Bosch characters. See, and the top is the top of all his place, you know, that, that, that world there, and then the other one, and then you have the big guy with the, with the face and the, the bad dog and all the bad guys attacking group. Every character that had a sword in Geronimus Bosch, and then I found this figurine that it was a monkey riding a pig, so I put it with Ruferto. So all the characters relate in a way to group. Yeah. That is a, that is a fantastic piece, Sergio. Is it is it accurate that uh, this is attributed to you often? Uh, something some story about guy gets a commission from you. You you whip it up pretty quick. The guy goes like, "Why am I paying so much for this thing that you drew in like two minutes?" And and uh, it's attributed that you say like, "It didn't take me. You're not paying me for two minutes worth of time. You're paying me for like." decades worth of practice and, and learning. Is, is that accurate? Yes, because I learned that from a Japanese old story, or Chinese, I don't remember now, which the king has a painter to draw him a frog. And the guy says, well, come in a year and you have your frog. And uh, the king waits and goes back a year later and says, you have my frog? And the guy says, yes. He takes a piece of paper, goes with a brush and 
throws the frog and he gives it to the king. Says, you make me wait a whole year to, to give me this frog that you just did in two seconds. He says, it took me the whole year how to draw it well, you know, <laughs> how to draw it right. Basically, that story as was for me the, the answer to them. He says, you're not paying me for this. You know, you pay me for all those years, research and learning and schooling and failures and cry because it doesn't, they don't buy you shit, you know. It's a great That's what you're paying for, you know. It's you don't want it, hey, please be my guest, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great lesson in self-advocacy. And I think that that's like a theme that's been running through the conversation today is that you sort of know your value and, uh, you know, adjust accordingly in terms of negotiating, making deals, holding on to your rights, knowing what your rights are so you can, you know, manage that stuff. I mean, Gru went through at least five publishers, did a little <laughs> cup of coffee at Image, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But for instance, I'm, I'm uh, I, uh, one of the editors, very good editor, Shabon, uh, Dark Horse, he handles He-Man, you know, and they asked me to do a, 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 a cover. How you call those covers? That Variant cover. Variant, variant. Oh, I did one for Jeff, a wonderful one with with a with a cowboy, you know. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna text him, get get him to send me that one. I need yes. to see what that looks like. <laughs> it's, a, it's a variant cover for for the, one of the comics that you show on your the time that you talk about his his uh, cowboy sewing all the, the 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 people, you know. Oh yeah, that was very interesting because, wow. Ah, oh, the man of work. But anyway, so I, I'm doing an eight-page story also for them, for human, which is very story because it's a it's in humor, you know. It's written by somebody else and it's pretty good. So I'm just drawing it. You know, it's fun. That's fun, man. I sort of your Aragonish trap draw. <laughs> That's gonna be sick. I'm doing the, the Skeletor and all the guys, and then I had to go to the computer. Who's this guy? You know, to put it on. Oh, now I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have He-Man in your morgue files? There's not a Beast-Man figure back there? <laughs> well, I did it for the cover. I don't know what it is. It's so many, many comics around. That's a good-looking studio, Sergio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are little levels, all of those. Yeah, I was curious. There was a part of me that thought that it, you had a collection of McFarlane Spawn toys. I have it in storage, mostly everything, but mostly... I love everything related to humor comics. You know, I don't have any superhero things at all. Nothing. Everything is from Mickey Mouse's to Atomo Boy, you know, uh, Osumo Tezuka, which I met. Did you, did you meet him at that San Diego Comic-Con when all the mangaka were there? Tell us about that, please. Well, I'm walking there. And I look at this a man who looks like Dr. Osmotesca, you know, with a hat, you know, nobody there. His assistant and him, nobody there. Everybody's with all the other things. And I go there, uh, Dr. Osmotesca-san, you know, Sama. You know, oh, he laughs, you know, that I give him the credit deserving, Sama. And, uh, uh, I, I'm talking, blabbing like I'm doing it right now. 
and the, the system is trying to translate to him like he did with Mifune, you know. And uh, I was so excited, and and uh, I said, I'm a great fan because in Mexico we had your the animation that you did, but I was not too familiar with his published work because he didn't came to Mexico. But I was then because I had discovered him on my trips to Japan and everything, you know. And uh, I, I I was flabbergasted, you know. It says I would love to have a signature for you, so he took a drawing of his with Atomo Boy, you know, uh, how you call it in English? Um, Astro Boy. Astro Boy, of course, Astro Boy and Simba, a watercolor thing, and he signed it for me. Wow. And he gave it to me. That's I awesome. have a frame over there. Awesome. I look at it every day. It's Astro Boy going like that. Yeah. So it was uh, one of those serendipitous gray things, you know. It's it's so cool to hear about that because uh, you know you could you could find the advertisements and things in uh, just online about that particular San Diego Comic Con uh, and it would it would have the names of Tezuka, Gonagai, Monkey Punch, and then it said something like plus thirty other mangaka, and it's like well who is that? Who are those man? And and it makes sense like their work wasn't that well known here at that time. You had Kimba the White Lion was in syndication on, on television and small more in, in the big markets. Like it didn't come to Pittsburgh, you know? So it's interesting that uh, like imagining that they would be here and all the fans of the San Diego Comic-Con are like trying to get, you know, Adam's signature or something while that's going down. No, no, it's a, another cartoonist. When we were in Japan, they wanted to publish Mari Japanese. And, uh, one of the editors, Mr. Amano, uh, wanted to do it, but as an insert with a series of other magazines. So Bill Gaines and I, we were at the office and uh, he said, no, mad is by itself or, or no, it's not part of anything. And that was it, you know. And he was a very good old American guy. He just left. I'm he says, well, that's all. It cannot be done. Thank you very much. And he left. And I was going to, I telling him, wait, we, we cannot leave. He says, oh, yes, we have we have uh, something that we have to go. Just uh, visit Japan, one of the mad trips to Japan. And uh, I look around, and they have prepared a banquet for us. A big display of things with ladies waiting there in their costumes, and many other cartoonists waiting to meet us. And vamonos. Ay, ay, ay. It was bit like, well, so um, one of the cartoonists, his name is Fujio, Fujio Fujio, who, who draws very funny cartoons with the guys with a little cross where he get mad and spit for the nose, little balloons. <laughs> Terrific cartoonist. So he invited, wanted to have the guys the night out on him. But all the guys had the, the same shit that they had to go. So... Bob, Bob Clark, a cartoonist from Mad, a very technician type of thing. And I decided we go with him. Well, we have the night of our lives. We went to fantastic restaurants. We went to places with geishas entertaining us. And whoa, I cannot tell you. <laughs> Everything. It was just fantastic. And then we, we, we ended eating someplace and then in the baths. And we get out of the bath, you know, those little incredible baths. And it's day, you know, it's like nine o'clock in the morning and we have to meet. So we thank him very much, you know. 
wow, it was an incredible night. Uh, and by the way, every time we were in a place, some cartoonist will arrive with a portfolio to show us their work. Japanese that they, they, he had already told them where we were going to be. He's thinking that many more of the other guys were going to be there at the publisher and something. But it was only Bob Clark and I. So we saw a lot of cartoons showing up their, their work, you know. But that, anyway, so it was great night. I get a telephone call that he's coming to the United States, to New York, say hello. So Bob and I decide that we have to entertain him, but we no way we can afford that night, you know. So we asked Bill Gaines, Bill, look, it's only both of us. We're going to entertain this cartoonist who did that, you know, because we told you about the whole thing. We want to see if you help us with a bill, you know. I says, well, why should I? I wasn't there. But you were in the spirit. We were representing you. Now, ah, of course, I, 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 I pay half. Ah, thank you, thank you. So we felt, well, between you and I, we can pay the rest. So where we take him? So we figured out what will be a, a not all American guy, because there's no such a thing. But what about Benny Hanna's? Because he's still is cartoony. And that's perfect for him to see an Americanized Japanese thing. You know? so, so we go to Benny Hanna's, Clark and I. And we go to the guy and says, look, we're entertaining a cartoonist, you know, Fuji, who's coming from Japan. And uh, probably he'll come with his agent or something. So it'll be a party. Uh, probably we invite Jerry the Future, the editor, Nick Meglin, uh, probably another cartoonist. So we'll be four or five or us, some ten people about. No, but nothing too expensive. Just just the logical to have a nice meal and, and comfortable in a private room. Oh, don't worry about it. We have it. We understand. We get, ah, perfect. So we arrive. They arrive. We arrive to, to Benihana's. And please come, and they take us to the second floor. And there's a display with fountains and water and little things flying all over the place and dishes piled up like sushis like that. And the whole thing just like, oh, Bob and I look at each other and says, oh, mother of God, <laughs> we are fucked, you know, for ever. <laughs> you know, I mean, we won't be paying for this for lifetimes. And I go to the guy when he arrives and says, no, no, you misunderstood. We did it a little thing, you know, like nothing of that. Just found a little room. And says, oh, don't worry about it. Rocky Aoki, the proprietor, is a fan of Fujio. So it's on him. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky Aoki. So Rocky paid for the whole thing and we had the greatest time. Like they brought a guitar, I sang for them. It was just a lot of fun. It, and we came out smelling terrific. You know? <laughs> but Rocky, I'll keep paying for the whole thing. Sergio, you have that a million stories, man. I, I love this so much. Uh, Jim, Jim, do you got anything else? Uh, we took two hours of your time, and we're all bound by that human really? condition. Got to stretch, got to move. Already? I talked so much. I'm sorry. Well, Sergio, like, yeah, maybe, maybe we could do it again sometime in the future. It's it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Maybe maybe when the Brew comic comes out, we could help promote that and sell sell oh, some copies for you. Sure, sure. Ah, uh, such a such an honor. Thank you so much for for coming by. Uh, well, thank you guys for watching. The people who are watching, thank you. Is I the, hope I didn't repeat myself too much. It, it, no, fantastic. Uh, is there anything that you want to promote at this moment that uh, the people should know about? Uh, 
your artist edition, any anything that the people no, need no, to find? No, not really. Uh, what I'll do is I will send you an email with my daughter's contact in case you wanna see it. You know. Cool. And, but, and uh, no, no. And fine. and uh, let me know if if that email should be included with the video where people could click a link or something so that they sure. could you know try to commission you or or whatever work work out those details uh if we include that there there probably will be a lot of incoming traffic so just if that's good good that's terrific okay cool cool thank you very thank much you for, the, for the questions and uh thank you for liking my work um hello jeff <laughs> <laughs> see you around my friend see you around guys